shit, folks, I didn't see you there. It's your old pal, Donnie Sutherland, straight out of St. John, New Brunswick. Listen, you have got to hear these guys on this podcast you're about to listen to. They're my countrymen. They're also from the same province of New Brunswick in Canada, the greatest country in the world, the country that made me who I am, even though this is a British movie I was in. So, you guys got to listen to this. It's great. These guys are the best. I'm shaking their hands right now. I'm shaking them. Yeah, you can hear that shaking them fucking hands. Yeah. I like these guys. They like me. They saw Animal House. They saw Don't Look Now. And recently, they even told me they watched The Hunger Games. So, you guys gotta like this. You're gonna love it. You sit down. You got the Donnie Sutherland promise. So, enjoy the following podcast, which is called, checks notes, for screen and country. Enjoy. Wow. Let's see, uh, Jason, that was good, because he didn't get angry. No. He introduced the show. He, he name-checked us. He did, he did. Uh, he name-checked the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, splendid. And then he walked out without even saying a word. Yeah. Yeah, it's just what we need. He's, He's a pro. Like. He is a pro. A lot less erudite than I remember him. Uh, <laughs> he was, he was, I always thought of him as a much more, like, uh, very, like, kind of upper-class-sounding guy. But no, he's just a down-home boy like us, Brendan. I guess that's just his real Canadian accent. You know, we face a lot of... A lot of uh, discrimination. Discrimination. Yes, absolutely. As Canadians, when you go to America and you become an actor, you have to change your accent. You have to change your accent. You have to change your name. Nobody's going to hire some good old St. John boy. God help you if you say A in public. Or, <sighs> or sorry. They, then they know you're Canadian. Yeah. My buddy's a trucker, and whenever he's in the States, if somebody if somebody like runs into him, he'll go, I'm sorry. And the guy will go, wait, are you Canadian? He goes, yeah, how'd you know? He goes, because I ran into you, and you apologized to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, this is a podcast, and I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is for Screen and Country. And we talk about British films on this list. We talk about the top 100 British films of all time. Absolutely. Decided in 1999. The best by year. The, by the BFI, mm-hmm. the British Film Institute. Um, Just on the heels of The Matrix coming out, they thought, hmm, this is a real good movie. What should we do? We should make a list of the best movies. <laughs> yes. Can we put The Matrix on it? It's not a British movie. If you want to thank someone for the creation of this list, besides ourselves, you could send a letter to Lana Wachowski at whatever Wachowski her dot mailing whack. address is. Wachowski at WAC? Yeah, yeah. They got a WAC uh, uh, domain, which is weird because they have any of them. They have their own domain. That's right. Uh, it's an investment that I don't think is going to pay off. <laughs> but that being said, uh, yes, we are going to talk about a movie this week on the list, as we do every week. Mm-hmm. We, we grab a movie. I was going to say grab a movie out of the headlines, but that's not yes. what we do. We grab a movie from the list and random order. However, before that, we need to read some comments, go over some stuff about last week's movie, which was Don't Look Now. Yes, let us do this. Indeed. As Indeed. Funaki would say. Yeah. Wrestling reference. Mr. Fuji. <laughs> Dude, that doesn't reference anymore. Now you're just saying random wrestlers' <laughs> names. Uh, Hulk Ricky, Hogan. Ricky Dozan. <laughs> wow, that's a... That's a we go deep cut. Uh, but yes, Don't Look Now. We have a lot of comments, so we have to get through these, Jason. All right. All right. First up, uh, from Vicky Aceta, she says, I love this movie. I saw it for the first time in middle school or high school. Uh, the ending actually surprised me, which rarely happens. Hmm. Yeah, it was a bit surprising, you, I'd say. You were you were surprised? I by was the surprised, yeah. Yeah, you you uh, you were like, well, of course a, an evil dwarf would show up. Like, yeah, everyone I mean, saw that coming. Exactly, it was, it was so telegraphed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, to- uh, sorry, Susan, oh boy, Susan Sidioski. I think I, that's pretty good. That's too much name, Susan. <laughs> Cut it back! Su- 
<laughs> you and your fucking anti-name crusade. <laughs> Susan Sidioski, uh, nice alliteration though. Yep. Says, love this movie so much and surprised that it isn't better known. It's heartbreaking and creepy at the same time. P.S. I visited Venice shortly after seeing it and kept looking for the red hooded cape. It was not pleasant. Well, uh, what you should have done is worn the cape and then run around the city yourself. I don't know how tall you are, but maybe you could have pulled it off. Uh, Topher Lundell says, one of my favorites. It really puts across the point that all horror is about grief. Nice. Yeah, it is, really. Can, just, can I read our old yeah, friend? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Williams old Holt. friend, Sean Williams Holt, says, Ruggs started as a cinematographer working on such films as Lawrence of Arabia, Mask of the Red Death, and his own first two films, Walkabout, I've heard of that one, that's a Criterion disc, and Performance. And it shows, his use of Venice as a cinematic mind fuck is genius. The clues are woven into one of the best edited films I've ever seen. Hidden in the fog to get the viewer to fall into one mysterious trap after another with shock, ready, and waiting. Each rogue work is like a companion piece to the other. But I think the closest he came to replicating this work was his night. 1990 film The Witches, which I still think is the best adaptation of a Roald Dahl work. Thanks, Sean. That's a lot of words. The Witches of Eastwick? Yeah, that's the one, okay. sure. Or, yeah. or, or, or Vivich from last year or the year before? Hocus Pocus. Starring mm. Bette Midler. I, I like movies about witches. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. I haven't watched a lot. So I like that's your response to, like, if uh, if the pilot in Airplane asked you if you like movies about witches. Donny, do you like movies about witches? <laughs> That's not sexual at all, Captain. Yeah, I don't get it. I thought you had a running thing here. What does Michael Compton say? Michael Compton, straight out of Michael Compton, says, <laughs> Some of the camera work editing is at times a tad too experimental for my liking. That said, really great use of the location, Venice. Phenomenal ending, and Sutherland is great, as always. Lewis Camera. Okay, that's probably Louis Camara. No, it's Lewis Camera. Lewis Camera? All right. It's one of those <laughs> movies I watch once a year and don't get tired of it. It's an eerie metaphysical masterpiece of early 70s style that some people might find dated. Uh, and as much as I like this movie, I prefer his previous film, Walkabout. That's a, mention. that's a weird movie to watch once a year. But hey, it is a cool movie, so I understand. I would watch it once a year. This yeah. Movie. yeah. I gotta watch Walkabout sometime. It's probably two hours of a guy walking around, but I'd watch it. All right, here's a longer one from Todd Lawrence. Todd Lawrence says it's among the great films of its era and one that can be discussed endlessly. As we did. Not yeah. endlessly. Well, I mean, we did eventually stop. We, we have shit to do. We have lives. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, shit, I'm getting married in two months. I can't still be talking about Don't Look Now at the Altar. Come on. <laughs> I don't think Katrina would like that. And, and you, sir. So what I'm saying is the use of the color red is... Wait, you guys, you, you know what? Let's just get the screen up. Let's get the projector going. We can do this afterwards. We're going to watch this movie now, everybody. All 50 of you. And we need to stop it frame by frame and analyze it. <laughs> There are so many themes packed into it, the movie. Particularly interesting to me is the way it depicts time, the way the famous lovemaking scene is both happening and all over the place. Mm, it is all over the place, you might say. Oh boy. Uh, the way the protagonist seems to cross paths with his previous self at times, but ultimately, it's the handling of the supernatural element that is the most intriguing. The notion that he has this gift of a second sight but refuses to acknowledge it and thus is doomed to suffer, well, that's a whole can of worms right there, isn't it? Yes, Todd, it is. That's all I have to I say. Lo I love that saying, because where did that saying even start? Because, like, who had a can of worms? Yeah, and why was it a bad thing? We think a can of worms would be a good thing, because then you could eat fish. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess opening up a can of worms is like, like, why, why, like is that bad because well, the worms could get out? Well, I guess it, it could be bad because you could be expecting, like, tomato soup, and you open up a can, and there's all these worms in there. I mean, is it weird that I'm, like, okay with that? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, Andrew Alonzo said, I enjoyed the movie very much, except that I saw it with my mother, and dear God, that sex scene was excruciatingly long. I feel you, Andrew. I watched uh, There's Something About Mary with my parents when I was 14, so it's probably about the same thing. Uh, someone commented underneath, I think it was Dave Ritchie, and he said that he saw Salo with his mother, and I'm not sure if because he didn't know what the movie was. D- Dave, can you... Write to us if you hear this, and please let us know the circumstances of that for our own personal edification. We want to know why the hell you ended up watching Sallow with your mother. Come on. I, I need to know more about that. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd so Higley- she was just a big fan of the Italian regime, I guess. <laughs> Lloyd Higley says, I saw it at the theater. One of the first movies that, uh, one of the first movies where I just sat there after it ended and went, wow, like a puzzle that doesn't come into focus until the last piece is put in. One of my favorites. So theater experience would have been interesting. To that see would, this yeah, one. I have to wonder what it would have been like watching a, this movie with an audience. Uh, okay, here's a our old friend Adam Pellman. Pellman, I no? give you. I like to give you the long ones. Pellman, what? Because what? Because uh, to match your phallic size. Oh well, thank you. You're welcome. Or it's very true. Think, what you think of it? This is anyway. this is this is this is the uh, the personification of my Wang in this comment. So I'm sure Adam Pebble would love. He to would be, love to know that. Love that comparison. Amazing film, he says. The opening sequence with the daughter and the shocking climax both get under my skin more than almost any other scenes in all of cinema. I have a young daughter, so I really connect with the film on a personal level. That kind of loss seems hard to imagine. And there's an almost immediate sense of dread when you see the little girl playing by the water at the beginning. I agree with that because you see a little girl playing and it's in a, in a movie that's supposed to be like a horror movie, you know shit's going bad. Yeah, especially when it opens with it. Adam continues, I think the film's most powerful element is its visual style, the way it distorts the spaces of its Venice setting. It's disorienting to watch. I remember seeing it in a film school in a film school screening and feeling almost dizzy when I walked out of the dark classroom into the light of the hallway. It took me a few moments to get my bearings, like a sailor walking on dry land for the first time after months at sea. That's beautiful, Adam. And you're right. That is fucking poetry. Yeah. Man, we got great fans, don't we? They are, they are I assume they're fans, unless they're just listening to us to hate us. I'm just grabbing comments from other podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so our podcast was asked this uh, this question, totally for us. What's Jimmy's favorite food? <laughs> he doesn't like the smell of cooking meat. That's the wrong podcast. Where does the butt start? <laughs> yeah, Ethan Colbert mentioned that. He said, I love that it's number eight on the list. That just shows you how much cooler the Brits are. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that is interesting that... If you look at the AFI list, there are hardly, one could argue, nary a horror movie to be found, unless you count Psycho, which is kind of... You're telling me Evil Dead's not on the AFI list? Of course not. What fucking bullshit is that? Assholes. Now, to be fair, the BFI only has three or four, Mm. so it's not that much better, but... It's something. Horror is always underrepresented, though, I find. Yeah, I mean, it's well, comedy, too, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not so much on this list. No, there there is some comedies, for sure. Uh, So... Tom, yeah. All right, Tom. Yes. Says, yes, it's very clearly drawing from Euro genre cinema. It's like a more tasteful, elegant Argento, Dario Argento, Mm -hmm. without all the ostentatious stuff. And then he says, which I say as someone who loves Argento exactly for those qualities. It's a lyrical and haunting film. I haven't seen Suspiria in about 20 years, but this movie gave me a similar vibe. It's... My problem with Argento films is they're almost too random that I can't really, like... Like if there's if there's witches, you don't really know what their thing is, what they're after, how to stop them. Like it's almost too obtuse, yeah. to kind of latch onto. And I find with this, like you kind of know, you get a more ground grounding of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more grounded to me than a, a murderous midget. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think as you're going, uh, you you 
you're you're following it. Yeah, like yeah. you know you understand the stakes no, I see what and everything. You're yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially when it ends, you, it all comes together. Yeah. All right, so the last one here is, uh, is actually a bit of a negative one. Oh. It says, uh, I'll be honest, this movie's never quite won me over. There's a lot to like in the movie, but overall it's not my cup of tea. It says, I watched The Man Who Fell to Earth very recently, and that is even less of my thing. And he says, am I the only one who finds the end of this film really silly? That's from Chris Johnston. <laughs> I think that's the only per- I see only person i've ever heard say that because i thought the ending of this movie was terrifying yeah i i, I you know what I, I have to agree with them to some extent because in a vacuum if you just look at that like oh, the, sure. the description of the movie and it's like and then there's a murderous midget that murders him right at the end of the movie you're like what the fuck is this but then you watch the movie and you get the vibe it's going for and the little like i believe the word you're looking for to come. is little person did i what i say you said the m word i said midget yeah oh well i'm sorry folks if, if there's any little people watching my apologies again watching Watching, listening. I mean, that's the thing. For the little people, we send out this video uh, podcast. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no, we're not going to go any further with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know what you're saying. So, yeah, out of context, maybe. Uh, but I, in terms of the movie, ooh, I don't know. That seems pretty. That, that's pretty unsettling. Mm, absolutely. Especially you don't you don't see that coming at all. No, you really don't. <laughs> like I said, it's not super predictable. So now, Jason, we look at the American Film Institute Top 100. What are the Yankees the inf- put in a similar position? The inferior list. Uh, and we see what is number eight com- as compared to Don't Look Now, which was number eight on the BFI. Number eight on the AFI is Schindler's List. Ooh. That's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I just for, for the importance of the film to see, I would have to say Schindler's List gets the nod just because, like, as, as cool as Don't Look Now is... It's not a movie that I would say that schools should show to, like, 14-year-olds, like, as soon as they're of age. Like, just fucking show them that movie, Schindler's List, because they need to see it. But Don't Look Now, you could definitely watch that in, like, I don't know, art class? Like, grade one? Yeah. 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 Mrs. Vine would have played that for us. That sex scene there? Mm-hmm. Mm. Or, I would, or a classic move my old English teacher used to do is just put a binder in front of the TV. Yeah. That's how we watched Elizabeth. Wow. Yep. Was there titties in that movie? Yes, because oh. uh, the teacher went, oh, and ran to the front of the class <laughs> with a binder. <laughs> Why couldn't you have watched that in sex ed class? Then it would have been like a two birds with one stone sort of thing. We didn't do anything in sex ed, man. It was boring. Fuck. Health class. You're right, health class. Yeah. But anyway, um, for me, whew, that's tough. Historically, I mean, Schindler's List is a great, great, great movie. and But I really like this movie, too. Don't Look Now is certainly the more artistic thing. Now, not that Schindler's List isn't artistic, but Don't They're Look Now is a piece. both wonderfully made. Yeah. I'm going to give it... I'm, you know what? I'm going to take the chicken shit move, and I'm, I'm going to say a toss-up. I'm you sorry. are a monster. I'm sorry? You're not as much of a monster as Daniel Day-Lewis, I'll be clear about that, but you're still a monster. I thought you were going to say you're not as much of a monster as, like, Avon Girth or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you're his his equal. Oh, Jesus. Well, Jason, enough of that. We need to talk about the the movie that we're talking about this week. Yeah, let's do it. Which is, of course... Mona Lisa Smile. Uh, Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. Cut the smile. No smile. No smile. Frowning, even. What if we gave Julia Roberts a Glasgow smile? Ladies and gentlemen, Mona Lisa. Wanna, uh, nah, nah, nah. <coughs> Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have named you. You're so like the lady with a mystic smile. 
Is it only cause you're lonely they have blamed you For that Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile Do you smile to tempt a lover, Mona Lisa? God damn that King Cole, you got a beautiful voice it does, and the, of course, that song, uh, if you if you couldn't tell by the name of the song, it is, of course, Mona Lisa, number 67. And I'm going to say right out of the gate, the painting does not make an appearance in this film. Not once. Not once. Not even referred to, not even talked about. Nobody even says, where's the Mona Lisa? Nope, but we'll get into it, because I think this song has a, a, a very significant meaning in this movie. Well, you tell me all the subtleties, and I'll tell well, you what's there on the screen. You see my glasses are right over there? Oh. I'm going to grab them once we get to that. Okay. I just, I, I, I can't get them yet. Those are cartoonishly large, Brendan. Well, okay, maybe they're Kanye West shutter glasses, but, you know, that's, I, that's what I need. I call them Macho Man shutter glasses, thank you very much. Wow. We are already podcast over! That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so this is Mona Lisa. This is number 67 on the BFI Top 100. Our first movie with Bob Hoskins, mm-hmm. who plays George. We also have Kathy Tyson, who is the uh, niece of Cicely Tyson, who uh, plays... Who, who would I know her as? Uh, she's in a lot. Okay. Uh, Michael Caine, who plays Michael Mortwell. Michael our first return to Michael Caine since Zulu. Since Zulu, yeah. Second appearance of many to come. Uh, Robbie Coltrane, a.k.a. Uh, Cracker. No, a.k.a. Hagrid oh, from right, yes, uh, the Harry Potter movies. Well, no, he was Cracker. He was Cracker and Cracker, the show Cracker. Okay, sure. Which then they did an American version that Robert Pastorelli starred in, whom you might remember as the butler, or not the butler, the painter on the show Murphy Brown, Eldon. Right. And then yeah. he died. All of that. Yeah. He plays Thomas. Mm-hmm. And then just to round it out, we have Clark Peters playing Anderson. And From Late of the Wire, I believe. He was on The Wire. Great show. Maybe. Oh, okay. I've never seen I forget the character's name, but he was on The Wire. And Kate Hardy as Kathy. So. Kathy with a C. Yes. Let's get into it, Jason. Let's get into this movie, Mona Lisa, number 67. I think this is our first, is this our first, like, kind of gangster movie? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it like a gangster a crime movie, drama but yeah, definitely, movie. definitely a noir. Yeah, I mean, there's been crime in other oh, movies. Oh, noir, I would say, yeah. yes, 100%, which, again, I've got stuff to ask you. So, before we get to that, though, Jason, what the fuck is this movie even about? Well, first off, this movie stars Bob Hoskins, and if you're only familiar with Bob Hoskins from his American star turns in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the uh, Immortal Super Mario Brothers I was going to say, you better fucking mention the Mario Brothers. Um, this is Bob Hoskins in his natural state. This is Bob Hoskins in a thick Cockney accent. This is how Bob Hoskins really talks. If you ever listen to interviews with him, he sounds like this. Can I tell you that the first time I heard Bob Hoskins' real voice, it shattered everything inside me because <laughs> I... I was young, so I knew him from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's Eddie Valiant and nobody else. Yeah, so I was just like, is he doing an accent? (laughs) I really wish Roger Rabbit was on this list, because I'd love an excuse to watch that movie again. It might not have even been... It might not have even been a movie. It might have been an interview, because I'm thinking about it now as mm-hmm. I say it, and I'm like, what fucking British movie with Bob Hoskins would I have watched when I was like 12 years old? <laughs> I wasn't watching the fucking The Long Friday, Long Good Friday or whatever. I'll tell you about playing Super Mario. The thing is, he's a real complex guy at all. <laughs> My favorite Bob Hoskins thing he's ever said is, I think it's fun to be famous. I don't mind it. <laughs> he's like, oh, some people, uh, the universe said something like, oh... Well, yeah, because some people say, you know, it drives them crazy. And he's like, no, I like getting recognized. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. I mean, and he's like, he's not like he's some uh, uh, super uh, uh, chiseled, like, 
you know, a model actor. He's just a regular dude. So he's for him, it's just Eddie, like, oh, I love the attention, don't I? He's Eddie fucking Valiant. Eddie fucking Valiant. Mario fucking Mario. <laughs> I forgot that was his last name. Yeah. All right, let's get into this. Mario, fucking... Mario, Luigi, Mario, the Mario Brothers. Let's get into this fucking All right, so Jason. Bob Hoskins, our old boy, plays George. George is just at a jail. He's just done a seven-year stretch, and it was a seven-year stretch because he kept his fucking mouth shut like you're supposed to do. Yeah, he could have sold out his boss, but he didn't. Didn't. Took the time, did it like a boss, and he gets out. We never find out what he did, right? Never found out what he did. We assume it was some sort of mob-related stuff, you know, maybe a little, uh, a little gambling here, maybe some, some uh, financial schnickery. Who knows? Maybe yeah. he stabbed a guy. We I've, don't know. Yeah, maybe like the worst I could see is like assault charges because I don't see this guy as someone who's ever killed anyone. No, nah, maybe. Yeah, no, I, don't I mean, think seven so. years would have to be like justifiable or like defensive homicide, or I, something, but, but like I, manslaughter. But I, I'm saying, like, as we know, George. Yeah. I can't see him ever resorting to that. He certainly beat up a few people in his life. Oh, yeah. Like I said, assault, maybe. Yeah, but exactly. I don't think it, like... So he gets out of jail. Where's the first stop anybody out of jail might want to go is to see their family. So with flowers in hand, he heads over to the home of his estranged slash ex-wife. And opens the door, and a young lady is there that is, in fact, his daughter. And every every sentence is like a reveal. Yep. <laughs> it opens the door, and it is, in fact, his, his daughter. daughter. Surprise. And you uh, find out that they are, in fact, estranged. So he's, and she's got to be, what, like 16, 17? She doesn't really recognize him. Yeah, because it's been like seven or, years. Or she does and is nonplussed by it, but I don't think that's the case, because she looks at him and goes, you looking for mom, but you want mom. And then she shows up and goes fucking nuts in a bad way. Yep. She's just like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. They start having essentially a scuffle in the doorway and the girl's screaming and she's like, get the fuck out. You were nothing in her life. You leave. We don't want to see you. And a cat crowd gathers around and he ends up in the street basically looking like a fool uh, while everybody's crowded around. So he's like, well, I guess uh, that's not going to work out. So he decides to go see his buddy, Thomas, played by our friend Robbie Coltrane. Robbie's uh, seems to be a general businessman of sorts. He collects a lot of stuff to sell, whatever he can get his hands on. And he writes detective novels. He writes detective novels. Uh, oh, by the way, you may know Robbie Coltrane, ladies and gentlemen, also as the eponymous character Gooby from the Canadian film of the same name. I did not know that. Do not watch that. No, it's very bad. Ever. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. But but Thomas is a total bro because he kept... Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. He kept uh, George's car... In working condition and ready to go for his him. Little once golden, the, his little golden, like weird little, like I wanted, I, I wanted to say Rolls Royce, but it's not a Rolls Royce. It it's almost looks like I don't know. Little, I th- is it a Vauxhall or? I thought it was like a Volkswagen or something. It's a weird little British car made yeah. by British people. It's a British smart car. Yeah, pretty much. It's a, it's a. It's a <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm thinking of like Nicolas Cage's golden cell phone from Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. It go, it's a match. It's, it's a, a match, match for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so he has a car. That's a good start. But he also needs money and he needs means. And he believes that the person to give him that would be his boss, Denny, the guy he went to jail with, played by Michael Kine. Michael Kine. Michael fucking Kine. Who I would say... Also, speaking in his, what I believe is natural voice, his yes. Michael Kine voice. Yeah, because the first movie we covered, he was in Zulu. Yes, and he was very, very posh. Posh accent. Yes, the but, poshest he's ever been, I would say. But can I say, too, Michael Kane is in this movie for maybe 10 minutes yeah, of screen time. you don't time see him a whole lot, just enough to, you know, get the point across. Yeah. And, when we get to the end, he's involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, it's crazy that we remember him so much having been in the movie so little. Yeah. 
So he goes looking for Michael Caine. He goes to a hotel. He can't find him. He, he and actually him and Thomas stop and he picks him. He buys him a rabbit, mm. a white rabbit. I don't know specifically why. I mean, is is it like a like an Alice in Wonderland thing? Like, oh, I don't have time. Uh, uh, all the time in the world. I don't maybe know. that's because like that's like the start of his journey. Yeah, because maybe. that's that's when he gets assigned uh, to be a driver. Yeah. Literally, when he's giving the rabbit. Well, when so he finally, yeah. Well, when he, so does that guy give him the job to be a driver? Yeah, yeah. Because he gives the he rabbit came... to the guy that's there. Because yeah. Michael Caine's not around. No. He's a busy man. He's in like things have changed. He's in the south of France. The guy says, yeah. which might be bullshit. Yeah, but no, it's pretty much yeah. But as soon as he gives the rabbit, yeah, he's like, oh, all right, you you want to be a driver? Yeah. So he hooks him up with uh, a job, and uh, the job ends up being he's going to be a driver slash bodyguard for a very high-class prostitute by the name of Simone. Mm-hmm. Played by and, Kathy Tyson. Yes, absolutely. And I believe the first time she is seen, he is waiting for her in a hotel. He doesn't know who she is or what she even looks like. Right. And she is uh, rushing out of the hotel and basically grabs him, pulls him up out of his chair, and puts her arm around him. He's like, just go with me. And yeah, pretend the, you know me. Like the guy, you know the me. hotel manager... Is basically on to her. Is on to her and chasing her up, being like, what business do you have here? And, yeah. You know, you think in a hotel, you would understand that that's just part of it. I mean, especially in a rich hotel. I can't, I'm really surprised that the manager of a of a fancy hotel is giving a high-class prostitute do you, shit. Do you think it might be a race thing? Because there's a that's, couple of... That, yes. Uh, there's uh, definitely given some Given some of the comments in the film, yeah, yeah, it could very well be a race thing that because she's black, that she clearly doesn't belong there. I'm pretty sure... Later on, we'll get to it, obviously, but I'm pretty sure he drops the N the N bomb. That hotel guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that does show. It gets like cut off by like the next scene, but he's like you, and then yeah. cut. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna say it, guys. No. You can't bait me, but you can masturbate me. <laughs> hey, no, they can't. I can only masturbate me. That would, oh. that would be a different. I guess term. then it wouldn't be masturbation, then would it? If you were having somebody else involved. Right now, there's a little The More You Know graphic over Jason's NBC. Today, I learned something. That you can't masturbate a friend. So initially, they don't like each other very much. And it was funny, Brendan. When I was watching this, I was thinking that this might go in like a pretty woman direction. But knowing it was a British film, I also knew it wasn't going to be that nice. (laughs) Uh, I kind of got that feeling too, honestly. I was like, oh, he's going to like fall in love with her and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, he... Where did I go here? Oh, yeah. So initially, they don't really like each other very much. They seem to have very different styles, very different approaches. Obviously, she's been doing her thing for a long time, and uh, uh, she's kind of been doing it. But, you know, she needs help and protection just because it's a, it's a rough game. And I don't get the feeling that he likes to be at somebody's beck and call. He doesn't like being in this subservient position, especially to a woman, and especially to a woman who's of color. Well, yeah. I, I'm not sure if he's racist so much as his character's a bit ignorant. I think it's, I think it's that uh, kind of like... Yeah, that that low class British ignorant racism. That I mean, and to be fair, I don't want to classify that as exclusively British because that's everywhere. Yeah, but it's just yeah, ignorance really it is. Yeah, he feels more ignorant. Like he's not aware his words are actually offensive. What do they keep calling her? The tall, skinny, black tart. Yeah, tall, yeah. skinny tart. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they don't like each other, and and one of the things that she doesn't like about him is the way he dresses. He's just kind of in like whatever suit he clearly walked out of prison in that he'd uh, had for the trial or whatever. So he's wearing that, and she hands him a wad of cash, which he's weirded out at taking again yeah. from a woman. She hands him a wad of cash and says, "Go get you something nice to wear. Go get yourself something nice to wear, honey." And, and he and he does a great job with that, right? Oh, does a perfect job of it. He comes out looking like a big fat party animal or my dad. 
Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's like if John Belushi in Animal House cleaned up a little bit. A little bit, yeah. He's got, he's got like the the Hawaiian shirt on and the leather overcoat or leather the, over jacket. The like. best, the best part of that is when she says, uh, "Well, you got a medallion to match with it." And he goes, "Yeah, I do I like, like it. I like medallions. <laughs> <laughs> he has one, for God's sakes." Uh. So, but over time, they do eventually start to like each other, like just from working with each other. Yeah, he's taking her to jobs, and and at one point, she's sent gets the butler at the guy that she's fucking to the or the guy's butler who looks like a naval captain for some reason. He's wearing a uniform that looks like he's straight off a straight off a ship. Who sends him out some tea and snacks while he's waiting for her? Oh, when she's with the the. This is what the movie calls him yeah. when she's with the Arab. The Arab, yes. Yeah. And I believe that that is one of the. I mean, that's not. I don't know why I said this is what the movie calls him. He's 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 an Arab. He's yeah. an Arab. It's not. Yeah. Um. And is that PC? I don't know. Because in addition to him being there, being the bodyguard, he's also gathering information. I believe for Denny. Well, he doesn't know he's supposed to be doing yeah. that yet because this is a this is a later scene. Actually, we might. Uh... We could probably play that scene right now because this is uh, Michael Caine. We got to talk about Michael Caine, yeah, obviously. We'll talk about Michael Caine, and uh, let's just play the scene with Michael Caine. It's a little on the long side, but I really wanted to put it in, play it for you because it's like one of his only scenes. But and he's great. He's Michael Caine. You want to hear Michael Caine? Yeah, and this is where he's basically telling him like when you when you're dropping her off at these places, give me some information, find out what the, she's doing with the Arab, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So here we go. That girl sees the Arab every night. You ask her what she does. What do you mean, what she does? I mean, what she does. What he pays her for. Why me? Because you drive her, George. You should notice these things. The little things. The business is different, but the rules are still the same. I mean, I can't ask her that. She tells you, truthfully, mind, that's important. You tell me, and I'll be happy, George. You didn't like me, did you? Well, don't, don't worry. Everyone hates me once in a while. But it's important to me, George, that you're happy. Well, I'm happy. So, yeah, that's... Um... You know what I just realised, too, listening to that with the with the background, without watching it, because yeah. you, when you really isolate audio sometimes, it really makes you look at it differently. Mm. Um, in the background, I know you guys obviously can't see it, but there's dancers, like, I guess they're doing some kind of rehearsal or, like, for whatever show they're doing that night at the club. Yeah. And if you just listen to it in the background, it's almost, like, heart beating. Mm. It's, like, it's almost, like, makes the scene more tense. Yeah. Like, you don't quite know where Michael Caine's character's coming from, and he seems like he could snap at any moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's got a calm, like, evilness to Yeah, him. exactly. That, like, you don't know where this is going to... Like, he seems nice, but also, you know he's not nice. Which I think is a makes for a much scarier villain. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, that's so, where he does that. So yeah, so he's he's getting George at that point to get Simone to tell or to tell George what kind of shit the guys are into, so I assume that he can then blackmail them somehow. Yeah, he wants to blackmail this Arab guy. We don't know the details of that no. at all. Uh, we never find out. No. Um, so he's going around with Simone, he's helping her out, uh, taking care of her, earning his keep, and uh, they're liking each other more and more. She eventually takes him out and buys him a real suit. Yeah. And he looks good. Which, when they go there, doesn't he say like, uh, oh, you got a client here? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's, like, he's like, and then she's like looking at the clothes, he's like, oh, you like men's clothing? And she's like, I mean, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and then she, he's like, you're going to buy a suit? She's like, no, it's for you, dummy. And <laughs> Makeover, 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 makeover,
for you and me. Today, Hopefully we that's don't today's Clone High reference. Phil Lord, Chris Miller, please don't sue us. <laughs> did you see what they did to that pool? They flipped the bitch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, eventually they, they become close enough that she uh, has a problem and she goes to George about it. And it turns out that at one time she was working under a, a pimp uh, who was quite terrible. I mean, not that you know a lot of pimps are great, but this guy was not yeah. really not good. And she had been, uh, uh, I guess, a, a co-worker, would that be the proper term? A, a slave? What, what would you say? <laughs> well, um, Somewhere in between that, an indentured yeah. servant, along with another girl, a young girl named Kathy. They were both under the same pimp. They were basically. under the same yoke of this guy. Yeah. Um, and Simone managed to get away from this particular pimp, um, and but Kathy did not, and she's still no. in the shit. Yeah. And actually, I think this comes up after their... Is it before or after they are they're sitting on the street and another pimp, a white guy, comes up and and recognizes Simone, and and starts talking shit to her and Bob Hoskins and Bob Hoskins in a Vinnie Jones level of violence just fucking smashes this guy's head. He doesn't even get out of the car. He's sitting in the driver's seat. The guy's bed down and he just grabs his fucking head and smashes it into the wind, like right into the door. Just yeah, fucking bloody the fuck him, out of him. Gives him a couple right right hooks too. Oh yeah, yeah. he just holds him and just bam bam bam. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, Bob Hoskins <laughs> just kicking some ass. Uh, so I actually I'd like to uh, to play the scene where she asks him because this is like we're getting to this, this is a big deal. Yeah, this she is... asks him, uh, "Will you find look for Kathy for yeah. me?" Because she can't go walking around in these areas. They asking know who she for is. Her. They know who she is. They don't really know who he is. No. A lot of them don't know who he is. This this pimp guy. He's been at a commission for seven years. Yeah, this pimp guy is like. Got some sort of alliance with uh, Mortwell, like Michael mm-hmm. Caine's character. Do we but figure he, that out early on, or is that not till later in the movie? I think that's not till later, maybe. Yeah. But, I, but I mean, we should say it now, but we, we'll say that despite that, mm. nobody really knows who Bob Hoskins is. Because he's super... Even if he wasn't away for seven years, he's, he's a pretty lower generic level. looking guy. Yeah. 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 He's, mu- he's like a muscle guy. He doesn't stand out. No. So, let's play this clip where she asks him to uh, look for Kathy for her. Kathy... Her name's Cathy. She's a Londoner. She has a tattoo on her hand there. I promised I'd look after her. Things can happen out there. Out where? On the streets, in the clubs. I can't go down. But you could. I'll pay you. Yeah. Any way I can. I want to find her. You know the way it is. Yeah. You're a good man, Mr. George. How can you tell? I can tell. Will you think about it? Yeah, I'll think about it. Promise? I promise. Good night, Mr. George. Good night. So, yeah, it's it's an effective scene if you're listening to it, but especially if you're watching it, Bob Hoskins Mm -hmm. acting in that scene is incredible. Just his eyes alone. He does it with his eyes, Jason. Just his eyes. Smoldering eyes, yeah. 
So he starts, uh, so he, yeah, he, he agrees to, to look into this and he starts digging around the uh, local underworld. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the help of Genesis. Thanks to the help of Genesis, which to be fair, like that's a weird song in this movie because it, it was period appropriate for sure, but it just felt so out of place with the rest of the music in the movie. See, and maybe that was the point. See, I liked it. Yeah, and, it's a good song. And it's written for this movie. I don't know oh, if really? you know that. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, Genesis wrote, or um, Genesis, or more specifically... Phil Collins? Phil Collins. Uh, wrote this song uh, for the movie, yeah. and then included it on one of their like later albums. But yeah, uh, well, I mean, the title "In Too Deep," I mean, it's like kind of perfect title for the situation. I get what you're saying. I mean, and, and Phil Collins and Bob Hoskins were old friends from the uh, the, the British Bald White Guys Club. <laughs> Wait, you know what? Actually, I have a th- you just made me think of something. <laughs> I have a theory now. Yeah. So you're saying this is like a little out of place? Yeah. Maybe that's intentional because he's so out of place. But is he that out of place though? Because he's a he's a low level tough. I mean, I, you know, I would say he in these areas that he's yeah. going to. I would say he's never been there before. No, really. I don't because I don't think he's like an old pervert. Like that's the thing. I don't. I yeah, don't but think... I mean, as a, you'd think as a um, like a like a mob guy or a gangster guy, you'd at least interact with this sort of thing once in a while because that's kind of like your your area, especially if you run like protection rackets or things like that. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I I just got the sense that he was like in over his head kind of thing. Yeah, he doesn't. Well, yeah, right. He doesn't seem like a like a screaming pervert. So it in too seem deep. Like, like just, yeah. just you're you're like back out now. Don't go in there. You're like don't don't mess with these people kind of thing. He's talking about balls deep. Cause I'm in too deep and I'm trying to keep. That's the one they sang, right? Oh, in my head, that's the one. That's Genesis. Going under, stay. I want to play some NHL 2001. I want to watch American Pie too. <laughs> the best one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's digging around, he's looking around, trying to find some information. Kathy's asking around people, and uh, he does eventually find a girl that he believes is Kathy. And uh, he has to go through the uh, the standard process, because she is a prostitute, and so he uh, gets up into a room with her, and, and she is ready to go. Uh, she is ready to do whatever, and he asks her if her name is Kathy, and she's yeah, and he's, he wants to talk to her, but she's like, She's like uh, trying to do her job as a Yeah, she's like you can't you you can't you have to tell uh Mr. Smith Mr. Smith that you're happy or else he'll Please you have to tell him that you're happy. He'll basically hit happy. me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's is terrified that he's not going to say nice things about her and that she's going to get the shit kicked out of her or, or worse mm-hmm. by her pimp. Um and so they they talk for a bit and but she still is eager to do the job and then she does the job. Uh, uh, well, he's still trying to talk, but she clearly is blowing him. At one Does point. she though? Yes, yes. Uh, because she goes downtown, and he's like, oh, uh, and then, yeah, and but then he they finish up, and then he like puts his puts his shit back together because he's not really feeling comfortable about it because he's here to. Well, I think she's, she's Kathy. We have to say this, guys. Yeah, she's supposed to be fifteen. Yeah, he does not learn that until later, <laughs> so we won't yeah. blame him. Uh, and that wasn't even what he was going to look there for, but he still took it. But yeah, so see, I I was confused. But I wasn't sure if he did or not. No, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she did. And then, uh, well, we will he get asks that her again. He's trying to ask her where she's from, and she won't tell him. Uh, well, she and, says Ireland. She says Ireland, and then and that's when he's like, "Oh, you're not her." And then she's like, "He's like, what's your name?" And she's like, "It's Mary." And he's like, "I thought you said it was Kathy." He's like, "I'll say whatever you want." Like, yeah. <laughs> Do what you want to do. Well, yeah, because he runs into her later and takes her for ice cream, thinking yeah. that she just got beaten up by her pimp. But then when he turns around, she's gone and back with the pimp. Back so with the pimp immediately, yeah. who knows what's going on there? Uh, 
yeah, so uh, so so in that pimp, Mr. Smith, who we later learn's name is actually Anderson, which oh. I mentioned to Brendan off mic yeah. earlier, that I wonder if the Wachowskis are a fan of this movie because it's kind of a weird coincidence that this pimp goes by Mr. Smith and also Anderson. If you'll remember, those are the Thomas Anderson and Mr. Smith in The Matrix, and that's a movie where people fight on wires. And coincidentally, the movie that we uh, noted earlier inspired the BFI to make exactly. a top 100 exactly. list. Exactly. Movie making was perfect at that point. It was perfected, and so they decided it was time. <laughs> in 1999, they were like, well, it's downhill from here, folks. Yep. So he, he so he walks into the room and, and then all of a sudden the mysterious Mr. Smith appears slash Anderson and he's like, did you enjoy yourself? And he's like, oh yeah, I did. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm very happy. He says that a lot in the movie. I'm very happy. Oh, who does he think he is? Fucking uh, this sporting life? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't uh, uh, grab anybody's dick in a rugby match. No, uh, but he's just as violent. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, but then it turns out that that was in fact the Kathy he was looking for. And she is in, as we mentioned, in Wait. Denny's orbit. Wait, what? That yeah. that girl that he was like. Hold on, no, 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 no. That girl that he was with. The one that he was in the room with, yeah, that's Kathy. That was a different girl. No, it wasn't. It was the same one. I'm pretty sure. She looked the same to me. We need to pause for a second. I need to confirm this. after that brief check it turns out Brendan is right and it was a different girl altogether I so swore they were the same because they looked they had very similar like attitudes or kind of like voices maybe I'm just crazy no I mean I just wanted to make sure because I was like what did I miss that huge fucking no I guess not I guess not I'd see yeah whatever yeah but yeah, okay, so it wasn't her. But then he does... How does he find her then? Basically what happens is he finds out that this Mr. Smith is the pimp that yes. uh, Simone has been talking about. Mm-hmm. Anderson. Yes. And he finds like a porn video. Right, yes. Because he's doing a delivery yes. and he finds a porn video that has Anderson and Simone, I think. Yes. Well, he watches it to see who the guy is, but he watches it with in front of Simone he which does, is really he weird. does the dickiest thing it's like she comes into the room and she doesn't know what's going on and he just puts the tape in the VCR and starts it playing and has it going and she's just talking about whatever and finally he's like met motion to the TV and he's like like this or what about this and she just is, gets obviously gets mad justifiably justifiably it's like turn that shit off and like yeah don't they have a bit of a they have a bit of a blowout oh yeah let's let's listen to let's it. listen let's, to some let's... of their blowout turn it off who is he? What does it matter who it is? It's me and a piece of meat! Just tell me his name. Anderson. That's Anderson? Jesus! Why am I doing this? Because I asked you. No, no, no. no. Because you like me. You fancy me. But having me is nothing, George. Any prick can have me. Shut up! I'm screwed by old men so fat I have to lift myself onto them. <gasps> So she's whacking him in the face with a leather strap. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Justifiably yeah, so. Yeah, well, because, I mean, he... He, he slaps a, her. A sheer emotional, crazy reaction, he slaps her, and immediately this girl, this this character is like, I'm not a victim. And this character has probably been slapped around a lot in her life already. And, and she, she is doesn't take like, it anymore. She's, she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm yeah. on my own. I'm like, you know, I'm doing my own thing. I don't, I don't 
deserve this anymore. Well, I've never deserved it, but you yeah, know what I mean. Exactly. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's crazy. And that's even... a, that's a crazy scene because like I think to Hoskins acting credit, you could see the character take it in and like realize what's happened. And I think he, I'm not justifying his actions, no. but I think he feels like no, he, he just reali- did something he, wrong. Yeah. He realizes pretty quickly because he just lets her then smack her, smack the fuck out of him with that. Yeah. Cause he strap. doesn't, he doesn't hit back or try yeah. to defend himself at not all. Not after that. No. Yeah. That makes him the real hero. Doesn't it? Um, uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, oh, and, and we should also mention too, I don't know when exactly this happens. I forget, but at some point he comes into possession of a pistol. A revolver. He asks uh, Thomas. Yes, Thomas one. Because Thomas, Thomas can get anything. He can get anything. He's got. You've got those the got fake food. Plastic he's got spaghetti. The, he's got those Jesus plastic. lamps. He's got uh, everything you could possibly want. <laughs> and he gets a mold of a gun, which he has on his person. And then at some point, he hands it to Simone. Yeah, one of my favorite lines from Thomas, by the way, when he's like, "Oh yeah, we got the spaghetti made out of plastic, and we got these uh, see these fake whatevers." And then he's like, "You want some tea?" And Bob Hawes is like, "What is it? What is what is it made out of?" And Thomas goes, "Leaves." Leaves. <laughs> that's a good line so after this uh george knows that this is anderson so yep. he follows him yes he follows him to that like spa or whatever right yes with all it. the naked old men and that's when he learns that he has some sort of connection to michael Caine's yeah because denny's there just having to be in the the you know holding court and telling some dumb joke yeah and he's like go get the bird go get the bird for the old man blah blah blah, blah. i was so half like, expecting him to say and she shat on a turtle <laughs> <laughs> with the Bobby and the Lori. <laughs> but yeah, he goes and follows Anderson again. Yeah. Goes to the church where he finds Kathy. Finally right. finds Kathy. Uh, okay, so she's in the church. That and, is Kathy. And, and and when he comes up to her, he is like completely illuminated in light and he's got a very like priestly look to him. So like, I'm here like, to save you. <laughs> yeah, and he literally says, I'm here almost like almost literally says, I'm here to save you, yeah. exactly. And she's like, Oh, Father George. Yeah. Uh she walks off with the Anderson. with Anderson. And, uh, I think he, uh, he, well, he knows, he knows where they're going. Mm. So he's kind of, but at this point he goes back to Simone and I think this is where Anderson has followed them yep. and attacks him in the elevator. Attacks him in the elevator and, and like has like a, a real sharp knife and he just friggin' slices into uh, Bob Hoskins arms. Bob puts it up to defend, uh, George puts his arm up to defend. Yeah, much um, like that. Can you see that guys? You can see what I'm Jason. doing right now. It's right in front of my face. Yeah, like that. Um, yeah, so he, he he protects Simone by taking this really bad cut, and they manage to get the elevator door closed, and they're going down in the elevator, and, and he follows them down for a couple floors, but then kind of disappears. Yeah, because, well, I think people start coming around. People so start coming like, around, and so he bails, and so this is the point when uh, they get away, and Simone takes off for Brighton, which is her hometown, a seaside town in England boardwalk it's a lovely vacation destination if you can't afford to go to the continent <laughs> this is where this is this is also the point where uh simone is taking off and uh, uh hanging out with thomas for now yes. this is like can she stay with you can she, can you can you take her to brighton yeah. you know just so it needs to be away right now while exactly. i deal with this and get yeah. kathy or whatever yeah and so uh so he finally goes to that house to look for kathy mm-hmm. and she is getting sexed up by a really gross old man mm-hmm. and i think she's being injected with heroin too yes yes there was there was clearly drugs on the table yes this was established early in the movie too that she was a drug addict i think pretty early on it was said that that was the case um and she's having issues with that obviously uh but he gets her out of there 
And he takes her to a... Is it a restaurant? Yeah, it's a, it's a particular cafe. I think he takes her to the same place he took uh, yeah. not Kathy yeah, to. Yeah, he did the same kind of like little shop, which is a real restaurant in Brighton. I, I was reading somewhere that a person... I think it was on Reddit or something, but a person was talking about how they liked... Or no, it was on Medium, but they liked that movie because they were from Brighton and they recognized all these places in this one particular cafe they used to go to a lot. Well, isn't it isn't it funny too? I, I, don't, I don't have this written down. I just thought of this, but like both times he tries to save... Uh, the young prostitutes, he takes them for ice cream. Yeah, it's like the it's like the most like fatherly thing to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's go get ice cream. Everything will be, be everything will be better now. Yes, absolutely. I, I just I, yeah, it's true. And that. so he's there trying to having a chat with her and and trying to work through this. But then Simone shows up with Thomas, and so he gets up. And goes outside and sends Simone in and they have a moment. Um, yeah, and we get a little hint of what's to come here. Yes. And I do have a little clip here of uh, uh, Kathy talking about Simone and uh, guys, the the not crazy, but the, the twist ending is coming up and uh, this is a little this is a little hintsky of what's to come. You don't know anything, do you? No. No, I don't know anything. Well, I don't mean to be rude. I like you. Oh, I'm glad. Do you like me? Well, I know you do. She likes me. She really likes me. I'll, uh... I'll wait out here, all right? Thanks, George. You like her, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know her, do Let's face it, you're not a very good bet, though, are you, George? So what was the story, then? Complicated. More complicated than the story about the horse. Much more. I just realised, too, in that clip, um, they echo each other's dialogue. Mm. Uh, Kathy says, do you like me? And he says, well, I don't really know you. And then he asks Thomas right after, do you, what, do you like Simone? And Thomas says, well, I don't really know her. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but that's just kind of interesting how they I did that. I also appreciate Kathy's little bit of Sally Fielding there. She likes me. She really likes me. <laughs> well, that, and of course, we should say right now that is the hinting that this is not just a friendship. No. Also, one little thing I got to mention is that over the course of the movie, uh, there are a couple of scenes where um, uh, George kind of secretly meets up with his daughter. Yeah. Just to uh, have a little chat and try to form a little bit of a relationship with her. Um, that's only, I mean, it, it's not that much of the movie, but it comes back at the end. Um, they play to it enough to keep you reminded of it. Yeah. So at this point uh, in the movie, like, we, we see Bob, rather, George's struggle has been, like, at this point, has been between, you know, his clear affection for Simone, mm-hmm. but also for his kind of loyalty and responsibility to Denny, to, to his boss, and right. the job he has to do. Um, and I think he's very much leaning in favor of Simone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think that's, on. I think the the fact that he's basically fact, fallen in love with her. That he's fallen in love ledge. with her and willing to go to the trouble of finding this girl for her. Yeah. Um, so they, they spirit 
Kathy back to, uh, I don't know if it's Simone's house or if it's like a hotel room or... I think they go back to, don't they just go back to Brighton at this point? Well, I mean, yeah, I think they're in Brighton already. Yeah. But they go to like a hotel room or something. It's like a, pe- well, they're about right by a pier. They're yeah. Like, they're, yeah, like yeah. A, they're like a, they're like a... Right on the water. Beachside hotel or but something. Because they, they take Kathy back to a room and she is in the process of going through withdrawal because she's yeah. addicted to heroin or something. We assume it's heroin. I don't know if it's ever actually I think, said, I think it's, but it's, it's pretty clear based on the needles that it's probably heroin. Yeah. Um... And so she's going through withdrawal and Simone is there helping her. And it's then when George finally realizes what's going on. Yeah, because clearly their embrace is a little too much to be friendly. It's a little too intense for friends. Yeah. And it turns out that, oh, yeah, Simone is actually in love with Kathy. Mm -hmm. Much to George's chagrin. Well, yeah, to say the least. Yeah. And don't they, maybe I'm thinking of this from earlier, but do they have a confrontation before our uh, friends show up yes and actually do you want to hear that too yes let's hear that confrontation because george george goes a little over the top here yeah he's uh he, he grabs her at some point during this too yeah what's the matter am i too old for you am i too cheap hey you know like, come and just show me the size you know get me some bright and rock that's all i want we're on holiday aren't we i went to have fun like men and women do they have fun they walk arm in arm you know and then, because they love each other and they get married so they can love each other more and have a little baby and a little one and it fights with fucking mother-in-law you know the way it is between men and fucking women eh? come and say something anything say it sorry I'm worried. <laughs> so are you going to tell me? Tell you what? As my friend Thomas would say, the whole story. So yeah, he has a meltdown. Yeah. He is, uh, he's very upset that suddenly this whole thing where he thought, he thought this was going to end, you know, with them walking off arm in arm and that's not going to happen. Richard Gearing her Julia Roberts, but it did not happen. It did not happen. And I think to the movie's strength, it doesn't happen. No. I mean, because I mean, even if she is, even if she is playing a, I mean, we don't really know her sexuality. She's had sex with men, so she may not be completely gay. She may be bi, she may be gender fluid. We don't know what's going on. She's, she's pragmatic in her sexuality. Yeah. (laughs) Um... But, like, we don't know what's going on. But I think even if she was just playing, like, a straight woman, hmm. it do- I don't think they would end up together either. I don't think... No, that's, that's just not... That's they're not, not... It was clearly that's not what Simone was interested in at all. No. No. She, li- she liked George, but not in that way. Not in that way. So, this is where our friends show up. Our friends... As well uh, as Kenny Baker. Is he there? He's one of the little people. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's not important to the plot, but anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Good old... He's uh, a busker. I knew he looked familiar. Um, so yeah, so they, sh- and yeah, so Denny and Anderson show up. Well, they're chasing them throughout the pier. Yeah. And then they, uh, George gets a few good shots on all of them, like just kicks and punches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think Denny's chasing them. Just Anderson and a couple yeah. thugs. They make their way to the hotel room and Denny's actually in the room. He's already in the room. With the with rabbit. The damn rabbit, yeah. Yeah. He's doing his best, like, Blofeld with the cat. So like. I'm guessing the rabbit, so at that point I'm like, oh, the rabbit... He must just really like rabbits, and he was getting him as a pet. Yeah, and so like, it's like, oh yeah, I remember he likes rabbits. I'll get him a rabbit. I mean, I'm sure there's more to it. Like yeah, we talked about, probably some little... symbolism that we're not seeing. Well, no, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. That you mentioned the Alice in Wonderland yeah. thing. I think that holds merit. Um, very well, very well, could be. But legit, logically, in the movie, it's because he obviously just likes rabbits. 
Yeah, so what happens is uh, he basically very calmly, again, very scarily calm, says, I'm not going to hurt you, Simone. Like, that, that that's for your pimp to do. And uh, she ends up grabbing his gun, shooting him in the foot, and then killing, uh, killing Denny. Anderson shows up and she kills him as well. Problem, two problems eliminated. And then points her gun at George yeah. and he gets angry that thinking she's going to pull the trigger. And he just slugs her. He slugs her. Cry, cries as they're, as they're sitting there. Um, he's basically holding her and like, you know, crying at the same time. He's very out of, out of sorts, obviously. And uh, leaves... Leaves her there. Yeah. She's alive. Like she didn't yeah, kill her. He's just like fuck she's, this. He's like, she's an ungrateful bitch. He doesn't really. He's like I'm out. She's she's with Kathy. They're together. Uh, the two villains are dead. Mm-hmm. George is with Thomas, talking about his experience, um, which I'll play later because I want to talk about that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But basically, in the end, George, Thomas, and his daughter are just walking arm in arm. Yeah, and he's. It, it seems like he's kind of gonna bail on the criminal life and try to like live a more normal life yeah as normal as a life he can live, that was you know, his out. a new chapter as it were in, in george's life is beginning at the very end of this movie and they walk off into the sunset mm, mona lisa well jason that is mona lisa let's get into this uh into, into these Let's get into the background of this movie a little bit. That's right. Because um, there isn't a lot that I was able to find in a the normally the way I find it, so I had to look around a little bit. But let's uh, let's get into it. So the early scripting for this movie uh, called for George to be a much older character, mm-hmm. and in fact, Sir Sean Connery was originally God. tapped to play <laughs> this role. Connery said, "I admire the work of Neil Jordan, the writer and director." Uh, he said he wanted to work with him, but he didn't like the role. Because originally, I don't know, I don't know if you know this, but originally the role was a lot more violent. This movie was originally Bob Hoskins' character George was basically like a kick-ass guy, like he was just beating people up every fucking ten pages of the like a psycho, like Ben Kingsley from Sexy Beast. No, like like a like still meant to be like a sort of shades of gray, but mostly good guy, but just a lot more like action hero kind mm. of and mm. even bob hoskins when he read that was like i don't that doesn't make sense see I, I feel like sean connery didn't do the movie because he didn't get to fuck the girl i'm surprised he didn't do it because there's several scenes where he punches simone so yeah he would love that but yeah. uh, they're not getting to fuck her that's a that's a no-no that's a yeah. how could she resist me that's right it's, it's it's unrealistic guys i was born Speaking of Simone, writer, director, Neil Jordan, uh, all the prostitute extras, mm-hmm. a lot of them are real prostitutes. Authenticity. Authenticity. Another person that was uh, originally going to play a role in this movie was Anthony Hopkins. Do you huh. know which role he was going to play? Was he going to play Denny? Yes. Oh, hey, he was going to play Denny, but he actually turned it down, and not because he didn't like it, mm. but because he actually told him, he's like, I don't feel I'm right for the part. And in fact, when he was on The Tonight Show in 2007... He mentioned that he told writer-director Neil Jordan to have that he should hire uh, Michael Caine. I wrote Sir Michael Caine. <laughs> uh, because he'd be the perfect choice for the role. Bob Hoskins has been in like something like five, six movies with Michael Caine. Mm. Had no idea Michael was going to be in this movie. Mm. Because I guess Michael Caine is a bit of a, a... Not a prankster, but he's a bit of a joker. Yeah. Um, and he basically said... Uh, Oh yeah, no, I turned it down. Like I'm not interested. <laughs> he told Hoskins he was offered the part, but he said he felt it was too small. Like he was, a, he was a big star at yeah. the time, 
and he was kind of tired of playing villains. He said so. He's like, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't take it. At that point, he had already agreed to take the role. <laughs> so literally, Hoskins shows up on set. Michael Caine's there, and he's like, "You son of a bitch!" Like, no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. He was in the movie with him. So I want to talk. I want to read a little bit about what the meaning and relevance of the title of this movie is, Mona Lisa. Yeah, because please we don't fill really, us in. This is, this is a quote I have. Okay, um, a fi- a film about a song, about a painting, about a woman about men and the images they make of women, the stories they need to, to tell themselves to keep them mystic, unfathomable, unfathomable, anything but real. So that's like the, a little bit about the song, Mona Lisa, um, which I think is pretty telling about the movie. I wrote down that I thought it was funny that Bob Hoskins uh, got a white rabbit and considering that he later did who Frank Rocha yeah, yeah that is a weird, weird bit of foreshadowing that, that is he would the, have had no idea about in 1986 I'm it sure. is the prequel Jason that's right, Eddie, right. what Eddie Valiant did before he moved to the States right. he dropped his accent that's right let's get into the uh, deep dive of this movie because I've got some stuff yeah help me out here I've got some stuff I, first I want to talk about first thing I want to talk about is the Mona Lisa song itself mm-hmm. so we talked about I just said what the, the quote about kind of what the song meant to them when they were making the movie and I think it's like, so the, the basic theme of this is that men are seeing these women as what they think they should be yeah. rather than what they actually are. He sees Simone at first as a prostitute and he's like, oh, a prostitute is this, this, and this. And despite the fact that she's right there in front of him, clearly not a stereotype, mm-hmm. he almost doesn't want to accept that. He is a very specific way he thinks people are. He's a very meat and potatoes potatoes. kind of guy that has a very specific view of how things are and it's not easy necessarily to manipulate that or change that. Exactly. Like, like for example, we said he thinks they can basically be happy together after all this, which is crazy. Yeah, it's an insane like, thing to you think. You can't go through all this and then suddenly be a couple. Like, yeah. it's not it's not a thing. They're not even compatible. Like, it's not the type of... Rela- it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship where they both need something. Yeah. Or uh, she needs more from him, but, you know... Well, he, he needs her for a living, and she needs him for her protection. Right. There we go. And I notice that this Mona Lisa song comes up in specific scenes. Hmm. So I want to play the first one here, where I notice it kind of reoccurs. And now, now, keep in mind this whole thing where the Mona Lisa song is about, like, you know, men maybe seeing women as what they think they should be, right? So. Yeah. Why does she hate me, Thomas? She doesn't. Yes, she does. You never tell with women, George. They're different. They wear skirts and like to powder their noses, and when they go to heaven, they get wings. Like angels? I like angels. Yeah, but angels are men, Thomas. Men? Yeah. No one told me that. It's true. <laughs> angels are men. So, I guess I should have mentioned too, he's talking about his daughter in that yeah. scene. But um, isn't it interesting how they're talking about all these assumptions they have about women while that song is playing? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's literally the movie is telling you these guys don't know shit. <laughs> the whole like angels are men, like yeah. that's almost how he sees himself as like a savior. Yeah, exactly. a few times. And when he tries to save that prostitute, that's not Kathy. She clearly doesn't want to be saved. Hmm. Like as dire as her situation is, yeah. I mean, she's getting abused by this guy, but it's clearly an abusive relationship where you don't think about it like that or you you feel like you're being taken hostage and yeah he's not the person to swoop in and save it also plays during the scene where he she's ragging on him for his clothes yeah that he bought and i just say i just think that's so interesting that's every time yeah. the song comes up it's so interesting the choice they made mm-hmm. 
Because again, that's a, that's him saying like, "Oh, I gotta be a, I gotta be a driver and a pimp, so I gotta look like a stereotypical." Gotta, yeah, pimp. exactly. I gotta have the, the the party shirt. I gotta have the the brown leather, like the beige leather jacket. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and even when he's apologizing to her, and he says, "I'm sorry, I look ridiculous. I wasted your money." That's what she wants to hear. But do you really think that's him being genuine? Like, no, I, he's, he likes those clothes. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that the only time Mona Lisa doesn't play when he's in the car is when he's talking to his daughter later in the movie when they're having their little moment yeah. together. She does, however, say, show me a trick. And he kisses her on the cheek and she says, good trick. <laughs> like, it's it's like, I could be a normal father. That's my trick. You know what I mean? Uh, a line I really like uh, when he's talking to his daughter, they're in the car together. And she asks him, she says, are you still a bad lot? And he goes, it's not for me to say, is it? And that's true. It, it really is, and that's not for a person to decide. It's other people have to decide that. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. can you know? Yeah, exactly. They have to decide whether you're good or not. It's almost know? like he's talking to us. Yeah. It's for you to decide. Yeah, for you. Am I a bad he, he person? Turn, he turns to the camera and looks straight into it and says, it's for you to decide. <gasps> Just looks right down the lens. <laughs> Make Whoa. your choice now. It's under your seat. <laughs> press the red button for yes and the green one for no. And if you press the blue button, I'll cut your fucking throat. <laughs> Mona Lisa presents Bandersnatch. <laughs> and this is the other clip here with the Mona Lisa song. It's the ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I want to just play... Uh, to set this up, I should mention that we ta- we mentioned Thomas was writing a book. Yeah. And George is kind of telling... it Every time he talks about Simone, it's almost like he's pitching a book. Yeah. And so that's what... Just kind of keep that in mind while he's talking at the end here. And then you'll notice something kick in at the very end of their conversation. For the first time he met her, she was trapped, like a bird in a cage. But he couldn't see it. Well, he liked her too much. And he was the sort that couldn't see what was in front of his face. And there she was, in pain. Now, ain't you soppy about someone? Well, you can't see things like that, can you? And he was, soppy sod. Oh, she had faith in him. She believed in him. And he had a lot of hopes for her. But there was love. Yeah. Yeah, she was in love, all right. Uh Uh-huh. She really was. But not with him. (laughs) And that's the story. Well, that's the whole story. Well, almost. Hello, Dad. Coming. Hello. So I think that whole thing at the end where he's summing up what happened to him, I think he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like, he gets the gist of it that she was in love with someone else, but the whole thing where he's like, she was asking to be saved, she was like a bird in a cage. Like, I think that's just him. No, that's him projecting. Projecting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His desire to save women and And, be rewarded with sexual congress. Exactly. And the biggest clue there is the fucking song. Yeah. Now, is it surprising that a guy uh, that plays a character about uh, saving a woman and then expecting sex would then go on to play Mario? No. That seems like the same character. Yeah, pretty much. Mario is just as complex a character. Yeah, that's why George's name is George George of the George Brothers. (laughs) Thought his last name was of the jungle. (laughs) Ha ha, no. 
Bob Hoskins in that movie would have been amazing. Oh man, Brendan Fraser, step aside. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an ape named Ape. <laughs> That's all I want to call him. I won't think of a better name. <laughs> oh my god, those scenes with Leslie Mann would be a little more disturbing. <laughs> I want to talk about two. I want to talk to you about the George and kind of like the changing times mm. that have kind of gone on since he's been in prison yeah because the first thing we see in the movie is him walking by himself like he's walking home from prison yeah nobody came to pick him up not even any of his like former uh like associates yeah not his not his ex-wife or not any of the mob people that he went to jail for you know you think denny could have sent him a car or something but yeah nothing and this is a guy who went to jail yeah uh he could have given them a name and he didn't seven years of his life he gave up for them that's a long time it's a long yeah it's a long time to go anywhere he also noticed, like he also points out immediately that his neighborhood is so different because when his wife uh, kicks him off the stoop, he, he looks around. He's like, "Who are all these people?" And uh, Thomas is like, "They live here. This is you've been away for seven years. Like yeah. this is a different neighborhood yeah. now." Um, so many people have been born since you went into jail. I like how every time he goes to a, an upper class establishment, he calls that a piss hole. Yeah, like I'm not used to these piss holes. And, uh, he, and then he's like, he has to flag people down for drinks and they were just ignoring him because he doesn't look like he belongs there. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like some guy just wandered in. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll get bloody Mary. Uh, but then he stops drinking early in the movie. Did you notice that too? Like he, he initially orders some drinks, Yeah. but then he doesn't. After that, he orders a tea and then he doesn't really drink much throughout the rest of the movie. I don't know maybe if that's that, maybe or something, that's, but... I wonder if that's maybe like... Him ordering drinks because he thinks that's what you do yeah, in that sort of situation. Yeah. Because I never noticed that. I thought the whole time he was just getting tea, but now that I'm thinking about it, he definitely drinks a few. He times. definitely orders a Bloody Mary early on, is trying to get a drink, and then kind of that. Then there's that time where he's in there and he's just like, "Yeah, I'll tea." Yeah, and even <laughs> my favorite with that, by the way, is when he goes into that club yeah. to look for Kathy, yeah. and he, they basically tell him, "No, you have to buy a drink." And he's like, "Okay, fine." And then he kind of goes and like hangs around by the by the room with like the back room or whatever, yeah. sees a staff member. Like a staff member, like a stripper or whatever, yeah. making tea. And he's like, oh, can I get some of that tea? And she's just like, nah. Yeah, she's like, fuck off. And he takes a drink of the drink that he's given and then immediately spits it out. Because it's and terrible. And it in a plant. So, yeah, that, so maybe that's a thing. Because he, when he's drinking early, too, he barely drinks, too. He yeah. he kind of sips at it. But, again, maybe that's just his thing where he's like, this is how this is how I should look. For keeping up appearances. You exactly. You drink in your hand. Yeah, I gotta look classy. Yeah. Classy people drink, right? Sure, all the time. I do like um, a line here too, and again, going back to this thing where the times are changing and George is not, is when uh, he has a suit on and Thomas is just like, the fuck are you wearing that for? <laughs> like, basically, like, what are you doing? And he's like, time to start growing up, acting like other people. And Thomas says, you'll never be like other people, George. And he goes, fuck, really? <laughs> like a genuine <laughs> reaction to like, you're saying I can never be normal? Oh, fuck. <laughs> also, and we didn't mention this yet, but talk about the changing times when he when he gets a bleeper. Yes. A very I, early uh, beeper. Yep. <laughs> I, I want to mention that too. He gets the he gets the, the pager, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he, Which and is he, very loud. He doesn't understand quite how it works. He's no. like, what is that? Like a tower? Like what is it? I barely understand it. I don't even, I don't get it either. <laughs> And his generation, his generation of people are taking shitty jobs. I noticed that he, his, his buddy Terry mm. is basically a jizz mopper yeah. at the fucking, oh yeah, at the, at the at peep the, show, at the peep show, which I had to explain to my girlfriend what a peep show was. She's like, what the fuck is he doing? I'm like, it's a peep show. What the hell is that? Oh, you watched it with her. <laughs> she, well, she was in the room she'd come by and seen that scene. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask what she thought of it. But. Yeah. She was, well, she was in and out. She was playing bingo on the iPad and doing whatever. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, I think when he finds when he finds out that you know Kathy and Simone are in a relationship, it's just destroyed his whole yeah fabric. It's yeah, like, and it's it's probably so alien to him. I mean, this is 1986. This guy's a conservative, probably a pretty conservative British gangster, such as they are. And I mean, it's not something that probably enters into his head outside of some like weird porn fantasy scenario. Which at this point, we don't even know if that's his thing. Do you th- okay? So um. Thomas, his friend Thomas, played by Boy, Robbie Coltrane, yes. is... The Fred Sanford of this movie. <laughs> Honestly, if you take him out of the movie, it doesn't change the plot. No. It like, literally does not change it, because he doesn't interact with anyone except for... Simone. Simone and George. Yes. And the daughter. And the, the daughter. Ba- barely. Yeah. But, like, honestly, he doesn't really change a whole lot. He's kind of like Bill Murray and Tootsie. You know what I mean? Like, take Bill Murray yeah, out. It makes the movie less less good, but it doesn't it doesn't change the plot. Yeah, it, 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 it's, I think it's character building for George. It shows that George does have a friend. Like, a real friend outside of, like, everything. He's just his buddy. I get the feeling they've known each other for a long fucking time. Yeah, and they I, must have, because he was willing to hold onto his car right, while he was in jail. And I don't get the feeling that he's involved in this gang no. business at all. No, he's got his own shady shit going on on the side. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Robbie Coltrane, uh, by the way, uh, he's really, really good in this movie. He is, is Robbie Coltrane Scottish? Because he, if he's not, he's doing a very good Scottish accent I, in this I movie. I think, maybe? I'm not sure. Because it sure sounds pretty natural. But I want to talk about his detective novel because... Cracker. <laughs> what? Cracker. So, <laughs> I assume that this guy wrote the Cracker books that then Robbie Coltrane starred in the TV show that it was then based on. Okay. Is that your theory? You're punching that yes, in? Yes, yes. Uh, so Robbie Coltrane starred in a TV show based on books written by a character he played in the movie Mona Lisa. That's now out there. That's out there. That's my fan theory. So, I thought you said fan theory, and I was like, like, Thanos? Yeah, yeah, it's my Thanos theory. Thanos is actually uh, Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> I'd watch it. Yeah, me too. Uh, but anyway, the book that he's writing, George... <laughs> shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have snapped my fingers, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert! No, not even. Uh, but the thing is with this with this book is George. Then whenever he's talking about Simone, you notice like he's always talking about it as if he's pitching a book. Hmm. What a man that can't talk about his feelings. <laughs> but like you know what I mean. Like yeah. every time he talks about how he feels, he talks about like, well, then she did this, and he didn't like that, and then he had to go there, and it's never it's never just like, hey, I'm having an issue with this hmm. girl. Yeah. Like I love her, but she's a fucking prostitute. Like what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> And it's interesting, like, Thomas describes his book at one point. There's a point in the movie where he sa- he's describing the plot of his book, and he says, and then it gets complicated. And that's right <laughs> when he- the shit starts going downhill yeah. in the movie. So it's I'm a fun wa- little structural moment. Yeah, and he even says, like, later on, he says something about a series of murders, and that's right before the bodies start piling up when Anderson and De- Denny st- so, enter the fray. So did the... Is the book that Thomas wrote Holy George's story? Shit. He wrote a book called Mona Lisa. Well, there's also the thing where he he talks about the horse. Remember, they're talking about who the murderer is, and mm. George thinks he means that the horse is the murderer. <laughs> he's like, no, no, the horse is the one that gets killed. And then later they're at like a they're at like a place, and George looks over, and there's a horse there. <laughs> and it's a moment like, wait, what? <laughs> you know what? Thomas is writing the novel as it's happening. I am on board. A hundred percent. This this is like adaptation, but but yeah, twenty t- years before the movie starts out with Thomas going, I think I'll get a coffee, maybe <laughs> a tea, a biscuit, a scone, a lemon scone would be good. I can reward myself after I read, I write more on my novel. Right, that's how it starts. And scene. <laughs> there is my Robbie Coltrane as Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Who the fuck? As Charlie, Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman. There we go. <laughs> 
Three yeah, levels deep. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. And there's there's even a point where George uh, George tries pitches part of a book where he says like character Simone turned out to be a nun in disguise, <laughs> which like he basically is like he wants her to be that. Yeah, he wants her to be the one that he can like save and the hooker with a heart of gold. Exactly, and uh, welcoming genitalia. He maybe he writes Pretty Woman. <gasps> Thomas writes Pretty Woman, and it's oh. based on the. It's it's like it's like a, it's like a, a happy take on this story. Holy shit! We need to get Richard Gere on the phone right, right now. All right, let's let's end it by talking a little bit about Simone herself. Sure. Uh, because she is unlike any. I think, unlike a lot of, you know, prostitutes you see portrayed in a movie, she's very elegant. She's very. Uh, she even likes kind of sachets yeah. as she walks. I mean, I haven't seen Pretty Woman, but I'm assuming Julia Roberts is kind of in that vein. But she's she's very like I think in 1986, it Julia been a big Roberts deal. laughs a lot more from what I remember from that. But I mean, I think in 1986 it would have been a big deal. Is that she's not portraying a prostitute like somebody who's just got like bruises all over their face? Yeah, and she's, it's like she's just, not just like uh, I'll give you twenty, you get twenty bucks for the half and half. Yeah, that's a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Pretty Woman. That's Julia Roberts. <laughs> twenty bucks for the half and half, Dickie Geary. Um, and also, I, what I like about it too is anytime George makes a little joke or says like, "Hey, how was he? How was he?" She never says anything. She's no. always like, "No, She's no." She's a fucking professional. She's a professional. She's like, "No, this is your job. Yeah. This is my job. We don't cross." Yeah. And the only time that he sees her is when he bursts in the door. Yeah. Again, and that old man part of his a... savior complex. Exactly. He goes in to save her from this this old man that's like uh, abusing her, but really she's you know she's there and she gets pretty mad that he you know ruined this situation i mean yeah because he she makes her, her money he sees her tied up yeah. and like the you know like they're doing like some bondage play yep and he assumes oh he's gonna like rape her and yeah she's like no this is this is what he's paying for yeah. um however that is the scene also where he tells her that he's found kathy so i mean yeah. it's it's a bit it, she's not as mad as she yeah. should be but <laughs> i got a sense from a scene later on that was a little bit troubling i don't know if maybe i'm looking too much into it mm. but when Simone is bandaging George up yeah. from the when he got cut on the wrist, he meant he mentioned something about how she's like really good at it, and it's his wrist. And I'm wondering if like she had some issues. She maybe tried to like. You oh, know, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're implying that maybe past. she was a self harmer. Yeah, or that she had maybe attempted suicide, or, or maybe like that. Kathy was maybe possibly, absolutely. or just being in that environment around other prostitutes, helping them out. You know, maybe she was like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of implications as to why she would have that knowledge. But I guess being a prostitute, it's probably good to have some first aid knowledge. <laughs> yes. Especially when you're dealing with old men that can uh, uh, die on you. Well, yeah, and I think it's like... But I, just the fact that they specifically cut yeah. George on the wrist. Yeah. Well, on the, like the forearm. Yeah, well, and she's bandaging it, and yeah. he says, you're good at that. Like, I don't think they call attention to it without something Very subtle, like, very subtle. If yeah. Neil Jordan were here, I'd ask him right now. That might be Kathy Tyson's acting actor's secret. Yeah. So, <laughs> Simone is the one who who saves the day. Mm-hmm. George doesn't do shit at the end. I mean, he say he finds Kathy, he yeah. gets Kathy, but in the end, when um, Denny and Anderson show up, she's the one who kills both of them. Takes care of both their problems. Not yeah. The, not. I mean, yeah. I mean, but Jenny would have been a problem for George at that point. But I yeah. wasn't expect. I wasn't expecting it though. Like when they start showing up, I thought. See, I think in the American traditional movie, you have George realize these are the bad guys, get the gun which he's given to Simone yeah. and shoot them. Yeah. But this is not that movie. She, she breaks free. Does. 
And you can and it and it's done with such like ferocity when she. Oh yeah, like, it's, it's clear not... that this is like just we're solving this problem right now. It's not done like a typical Hollywood movie. No. There's no there's no glamour around it. She... It is quick and it is brutal and it is it is done. Yeah, she breaks free and just immediately bang bang dead, just like that. No, no, like guy laying on the floor. She walks up to give him a fun line or whatever, or to oh, tell him what's up. Be, nope, just would, kills him. That would be terrible. <laughs> I guess now she, she has like a giant. Who's getting fucked now? Yeah, she has like a giant hook, like yeah. in see no evil, and she's like, I guess you're the hooker. <laughs> and then Kane shows up. It's a big red machine. It's a big red machine. <laughs> That is that is how this movie. Kay, Kay, Kay. I want to ask you something because yeah. I read the synopsis for this movie online. Okay. Okay. And I don't agree with what they said about the ending because I don't know if you did. You read anything about this uh, after you watched it? Uh, I read uh, specifically. I was looking at, at synopsis to help me get mine together, and I yeah. read the Wikipedia one as well as the one on the BFI website. Well, I want to ask you because the one on the BFI website mm. said something about how this whole time she had been using him to get Kathy, but it painted her as like a femme fatale villain. Like it painted her as the sort of as a sort of like she used him to get what she wanted and then she didn't actually like him at all. That may have, I think that's bullshit. I, I feel like that might be the the bias of the writer coming through yeah. as a male writer perhaps. I think that's maybe like a point of view you can maybe have. Yeah, you can take that point of view. That's a I mean, I could see how you would see that. You might see that in this film. But yeah, I don't, but I don't think that it's like yeah, she does use him. But I don't but, think it's that it's that cut and dry. Yeah. Like it, it's it's not like she sees that he's a nice guy, yeah. and I think they actually they, they get along. They genuinely do get along and like each other. I think this is for not a good part this is not movie. fucking like double indemnity. Like yeah. she's not you know murder my husband for me. Like no. it's it's a very like I don't know. I think it's a very I, and simple... that's the thing is that she gets to like him and trust him enough to ask him to do this, which you know is not something you could just ask somebody willy nilly to do. Like yeah, go it's find very... this girl. Now she obviously doesn't tell him the whole truth, but right. And I guess she kind of does let him let him on a little bit that. Uh, you know, I know you fancy me, like that whole thing. But and, like, and the, I'll do anything, or, or I'll, I'll pay in any way I have to, or whatever. Like the yeah. implication that she's willing to give sex for. I mean, sure, but I mean, she might have if he had asked. Like, yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, but no, he wanted to earn it. <laughs> but I don't think. Yeah, I just think that's a really simple reading of mm. that scene. Is that she somehow is like just a, a femme fatale, and I'm like, I can no. see how this is kind of a film noir, sort of like maybe neo noir, but. I don't see her as that character. No, I never thought femme fatale at all watching her. Like, she was... And I actually felt bad for her when he comes up, when she points the gun at him, because I didn't think she was going to be able Mm. to shoot him. I thought she just did that because he came right up to her and she was freaked out. And and then when he... he, Well, she solved two problems right there. Maybe that would be a third problem she could solve, too, that maybe in that moment she thought, oh, if I just take him out, then I don't have to worry about this anymore. They're all gone. Maybe? Yeah. Um... I don't know. I felt, I but she up, also didn't do it. She could have. She could have just blown his head right off. I kind of ended up feeling worse for her than I did for George. At yeah. The, at the no, end. it would suck because she just kind of like we don't know her fate. Yeah. Like she just kind of left there, and we have to assume that she must get arrested at some point, or because somebody finds those bodies. Somebody heard us shots go off in that hotel. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just, it's just something I noticed. I was like, I don't, I don't. I, I felt maybe like I it was to... a murder suicide with Kathy. I'm pretty sure we don't know. <laughs> I think I think they're gonna be okay. They're gonna be happy together forever. Imagine Running an ice cream you, farm in I Vermont. Do, I think about you day and night. 
It's only right. Oh, another adaptation reference. Oh, I was thinking Super Smash Brothers, but that's <laughs> me and you's difference right there. <laughs> Uh, so I just want to say too that, um, this is the second movie in a row we've done with, uh, little people <laughs> attacking people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to all the little people out there, I'm sorry that you've been painted as, as crazy murderers and attackers over the years. Uh, we don't think that's the case. We've watched uh, little people, big world. We know what's happened. We've all watched midgets versus mascots. That's a real thing. Yes. Oh no. Don't watch it. I won't. I've seen five minutes and it was 20 minutes too much. <laughs> It's like Roger Ebert said about Pearl Harbor. It was twenty minutes uh, compressed or five minutes compressed into twenty. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. Uh, all right. Well, I th- I think we're ready to move on to the critique of this movie. Unless you have anything to add before we before we move on. No, it's an interesting movie. Um, uh, it's a Criterion disc, although it's out of print. So good luck finding it. If any of you are subscribed to the Criterion channel. It is on there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Awesome. The online streaming service. You can check that out. Um, along with a lot of movies on this list, actually. Yeah. Uh, I know the other Bob Hoskins movie. Armageddon. The long... <laughs> it's, the not, I, it's not on the site, actually. <laughs> but oh. I know I know the other Bob Hoskins movie on this list, The Long Good Friday, is on there as well. Quick aside, uh, just for my edification, and maybe for the audiences too, does the Criterion uh, uh, service, do you know if they provide audio commentaries or any of the extras? Uh, yeah, they have all the extras. God damn it, that's awesome. Because yeah. I wish Netflix would do that. Not Sorry, I shouldn't say all, but there's a lot of them on there that have like the commentaries. And the, the commentaries are a big thing because behind the scenes. In the streaming era, commentaries have kind of gone away. Because yeah. they, and Which is crazy because all those movies have alternate audio tracks. Like, you can, you know, with other languages, so why not have a commentary? Yeah, no, I have seen a bunch of them on there. Netflix, solve this problem. You dicks. M-N-G-A, make Netflix great again. That's right. M-N-G-A. Yeah, let's talk about, it only gets nominated for one Oscar. Yes. Um, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. But here's the thing, before we get to that, I want to say that he won the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the Boston Society of Film Critics, the Kansas City Film Critics, the London Critics, LA Film Critics, New York Film Critics. He won all of those. Uh Uh-huh. And he didn't win the Oscar. Because somebody, I think, was owed a lifetime Oscar. Uh, no. Did Paul Newman win an Oscar before Color Money? Well, this is, this is, I mean, I I guess. (laughs) Is that his lifetime Oscar for that movie? Well, I'm just, no, 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 I'm just saying, like, like sometimes, you know, actors get a a trophy for a movie that maybe isn't their best movie, but is the recognition of their career. Like, yeah, you could argue, I mean, I I guess. I love The Departed, but for Martin Scorsese, maybe that's the Oscar he got for all the other movies he didn't win it for. I guess you could say that for Paul Newman. I mean, you had Cool Hand Luke and stuff before this, so. But it's just, I think this is one of the biggest upsets. Yeah. Uh in the Oscar history. I'm not saying the biggest one, but it's one of them. Uh, it's not like, you know, crash winning or something, but it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest upsets. But the other nominees that year, I just want to go through because it's kind of interesting. It was James Woods for Salvador. Uh, great Dex- actor. Uh, Dexter, great actor, garbage person. Absolutely. Uh, Dexter Gordon for round midnight. Uh, William Hurt for children of a lesser God. And then of course, Paul Newman for the color of money is the winner. Uh, Bob Hoskins, like, like I said, he got, crazy acclaim for his performance so i guess obviously he wins best actor at the baftas mm-hmm. and but it's also nominated at the baftas this is, this is the only thing it wins is for bob hoskins but it also gets nominated for best actress for kathy tyson uh best direction best editing best mm-hmm. original screenplay and best film 
Nice. Yeah. So, but Hoskins does take home a bunch of awards, just not the little gold statue, which I don't think he ever won, which is a shame. Yeah, no, he deserved one. He if he was going to win for something, this would have been the one. Or Mario Brothers, one or the other. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the best Bob Hoskins performance I've ever seen. Yeah. This is really, really good. Uh, maybe awards contention later. Oh, perhaps. The end of 20 more movies. Uh, I think uh, I think we'll just get into our closing thoughts here then. Closing so, thoughts. So we did this movie. It's number 67. It's another first for us because mm-hmm. our first Bob Hoskins, our first like crime thriller. Like, our first Neil thing. Jordan. First Neil Jordan. He's got, I think, only one other movie on this list. Well, that's still the first it's, one. It's it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big one that he's got on this list, The Crying Game. Oh, yes. That we, still right. have to, we still have to cover it. some Never point. seen that, so I'll be interested when we get there. I should say, actually, before I go any further, I forgot to mention this, but Kathy Tyson's look in this movie mm-hmm. uh, inspired the look of uh, uh, Jay Davidson's per- character in The Crying Game. like the, the And thus then inspired Jay Davidson's performance in Stargate. Is that a real thing? Yeah, no, he he plays, he's like the Ra in Stargate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know that it actually inspired his performance. I'm oh, just being see, facetious. But that's what I was going I just for. wanted to talk about Stargate because that's a fun movie. So, it's another, so this is another movie that doesn't give us a lot of clear and concise answers by the end. I feel like mm. it could go in a number of different ways. Yeah, it's open to interpretation. It's fun to talk about. You know, it's good to, it, it, we can explore like who's the, who's in the right in this movie, who's the real villain. I mean, we know people that are villains, but you know, like I said, people saying Simone was the villain. I don't think that's true. But Do you think this movie would have been good if they'd have cast Captain Lou Albano in the Bob Hoskins role? It would be on my other podcast. Okay, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, That's just another Mario reference for you folks out there. Look it up. Jesus. Well, Bob Hoskins in this movie, I knew Jason was going to fucking mention Mario. <laughs> that movie shaped my childhood, for better or for worse. <laughs> but I just want to say there are a lot of things in this movie that can be, you know, debated back and forth, and I just think it's the sign of a really strong script, well-developed characters, and I think it's a great movie. I agree, Gren- Grendon. Yeah. Grendon? Is that your name, Grendon? It is, Gason. Okay. Oh no, I got the I got the short end of that stick, <laughs> or the long end, depending on how you think about it. Hey. hey. So what do you think? What, what do you think? Of I like this movie Fox? a lot. Yeah, it's different. It was not the usual type of movie I watch. Uh, I was always ha- I'm always happy to see Bob Hoskins in anything, and also Bob Hoskins. You look at him; he's one of these guys. Like he, he's like Steve Martin. Like he just kind of looked old when he was young, so he never aged after that. He's built like a little bullet. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's the, he's the bulldog of Britain. Uh, yeah. uh, not Churchill. Hoskins. <laughs> um, and I think just to end this, we'll play a little clip of Bob Hoskins talking about the movie. How yeah, I want to hear Bob talk about it. Let's hear him in his, his cockney voice. Neil came to me in the first place and it, it, he had a script that he hadn't written. And it, I, I, I was more like the superhero, you know. George was bashing people up all over the place. He, it was wrong somehow. And, and Neil knew it was wrong. He came around and said, what's wrong? And we went through it. I said what I thought was wrong. And then he came back a month later with a completely new script and it was George. I suppose he's a sort of mixture of Norman Wisdom and Lou Grant. There you go. There you have it. There's Bob talking about the original conceit of George, which is completely wrong. I I like the the reference to Lou Grant. And he actually, Bob Hoskins does kind of look a little bit, like he's got the similar shape to... uh, to, um, Ed Asner? Ed Ed Asner, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Let's, uh, Let's wrap it up there. Jason now... Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, uh, normally at this time yeah. in the podcast... 
we, we would, would roll the dice for next week. However, I have some shit to do uh, down in the hump of Nova Scotia, so we'll just have a mini episode next week. Uh, we're gonna uh, well, we a could, tiny sode, if you will. We could talk about what we're going to be discussing. We're just going to have a little chat about uh, some British television, British so, television, and so how watch all British TV shows in preparation for that. Yes, there's only five of them. Yeah, that's all. Well, you, there's there's five of them, but there's six episodes a season, gonna, and there's two seasons each. I was going to say there's about a hundred of them, but they're only about like three 40 minute episodes each one. Yeah, you, so. can, you can do it. You can do it tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of a British TV next week. And of course, next week we will roll the dice and find out what we'll be covering the week, the after. week after that. Yeah. But until then, Jason. You're Brendan. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. I love, I love, I love. And she shadowed a tattoo. I was searching nowhere to run to. It started me thinking. Wondering what I had could make of my life. And who'd be waiting? Asking all kinds of questions to myself. But never This time, I still remember